0: All of a sudden, we're at the second England game. I don't really know how it's happened. The uh, the rate at which fixtures come up and get played has not dropped off compared to the Premier League season at all. It just hasn't. Um, and it feels like you really have to go out of your way to, to make time to watch the games, um, which I'm not against doing. I've done that for a fair few. But yesterday, I just got to the point where Just had things in my life that I needed to do and didn't watch uh, Belgium, Denmark, um, and didn't watch Netherlands, Austria just because I was just doing other things. And wake up this morning and you have to, I don't know, you have to watch the highlights and you have to look at match reports and you have to really, really try and get a sense of of what you've missed because when you don't see things yourself, you're Really, really heavily relying on on opinions of other people, which is not the worst thing. You can obviously find really, really smart people. Um, you can find their thoughts, and there's there's a bunch of coverage. Obviously, it's not like there's there's a lack of that, but um, but you do you do to an extent want your for me anyway want my opinions of teams and players informed by informed by being able to see them yourself. Um, and i think part of the reason i didn't really feel i needed or wanted not even needed wanted to watch the denmark game was because of how quickly we moved past what happened to eriksen it's not that what is it five i can't, I can't even think six what well, must be a week ago six days ago that christian eriksen nearly died on a football pitch and i had someone uh, talking yesterday just oh Ericsson's out obviously so uh someone will start instead Jansen will start Jensen will start instead as if he's like rolled his ankle or I don't know he's got a he's got a hamstring minor hamstring strain so so he's not going to play and I just thought fucking hell how has how is we've even moved on from that quickly I know we're Quick, fast-moving news cycle and all that sort of stuff, but I just found that really, really jarring. Um, And I haven't really talked about how I felt when when I saw the Erikson thing happen. Um, I think there was an initial state of of shock, I suppose. I was watching the game with my dad, um, and we were both just scared. And I think as well, I don't know, I've tried to figure out how much of what I felt in that moment was because Eriksen played for Spurs and tried to do the maths and I think I probably saw him play a hundred times. And that's not to say that you... Build up like a, a, a mutual connection with someone from watching them play, right? There's Tens of thousands of people watching every single football match that Christian Eriksen plays in, but you, you feel like you know him, and that was that was horrible. Went for a little walk afterwards, um, and yeah, just texting. Ended up I just felt like I, I just message all my Spurs friends, Spurs family to just see if see how everyone was feeling um, and it, uh, yeah I think it was a fairly fairly universal reaction that was just a, yeah confusion and fear and I think maybe 10-15 minutes passed before um, the news came out that he was in hospital and was stable um, and then from there you're yeah, just trying to get past refreshing twitter to i suppose let it unfold um that's the first time in a while i've seen my dad on the verge of tears um and the first time that i was walking around north london crying basically um and that was that was really really odd um that whole the the way that it was covered and the way that so I felt so quickly we moved on to this is whoever's fault for for broadcasting it I don't know, to me anyway, I, I completely take all those those points in those arguments, but we got off very quickly the fact that it was Ericsson who we should be thinking of. And Kez said this I can't remember when, just like the further away we are from that game, the more horrendous, it seems, that the players were put in a position where they had to make a decision about whether to play or not. Um, I know there's been there's some, some really good points made about, you know, you, you you take the decision out of those people's hands. It shouldn't be on them to, to decide what happens next. You just blanket say, no, this, this game isn't happening. Um, and you figure out scheduling and all that other stuff. You figure out all that other stuff afterwards. Um, yeah, harrowing images. I think, and really, really traumatic, really traumatic stuff. Um, and then yeah, getting past that, I just it just made me miss miss the the Eriksson era of Spurs. Obviously, you know, the, fairly well laid out in uh, in the Amazon documentary, which gets to the point where he doesn't want to be there. He wants to leave the club, and um, and that's okay. Players don't have to play it the same club forever um, but I just yeah made me miss the times where he'd, he'd just be an unbelievable footballer for Spurs um, thinking back to games at White Hart Lane where um, early on anyway he'd be on set pieces and just crash a free kick in off the bar and just make it look so easy um, and I think the training Spurs would call him the magician so he would just do things he'd be like how how, does, how has he done that? How did he do that? Um, and yeah, goals in particular that stand out for me are the one away at Chelsea, at Stamford Bridge, where he's kind of inside left and just shifts it with the outside of his right foot, opens up and just crashes it in off the crossbar. Um, so how How is anyone supposed to save that goals? I think particularly towards the end of his time where just games would be really, really tight and Really, really supposed to be looking to score, and we just couldn't score. And then the way that we would win the game is Ericsson would pick the ball out fairly far, pick the ball up fairly far out from goal and just shoot into the bottom corner. And we would score and win the game like that. Um, And sometimes with his left foot as well, I think, you know, for for someone who's clearly right footed, his left foot is probably as good a weak foot as there was and is for for anyone around around the top leagues. Um and yeah, like the final season we had at White Hart Lane when um we finished when we finished second that year, the game against Chelsea when Deli Ali scored the two headers, like Christian Eriksen puts in both the crosses, just perfectly weighted passes to, to the back post. Um And all all those things, and it's obviously not about him as a footballer, it's not about the fact he was a Spurs player, it's about the fact that it it could be anyone, it could have happened to anyone on any pitch, and it happened to happen on live telly with millions of people watching, but then also in Denmark, and he's Danish, and there was a hospital 500 metres away, and... Um, you know, there's no, there's nothing stopping him from being able to get the treatment and all that sort of stuff, and and yeah, just yeah, I feel feel lucky to have watched Ericsson play for Spurs. I feel lucky to have been able to have seen him play so many times for the team that I supported, and I feel really grateful that he's alive. Basically. Um, Fuck, nine minutes. Did not mean to go on this long. Um, but I've only really chatted to Luce and my parents and to my sister, and yeah, messaged a couple of Spurs pals about it. So it's nice to nice to talk it through. Anyway, this is another Euros pod. No, we are we are what are we, 12 hours, just under 11 and a half hours out from from England, Scotland tonight and Josh and I go through um, the, well, we go through the England-Croatia game, a couple of things that, that stood out to him, think about Scotland uh, and where England might be able to take advantage of the fact that they've got better players in, in a number of areas of the pitch. Um, and then, yeah, have a look at the Scotland-Czech Republic game and then just bounce around the tournament. And always good to have Josh on to talk about um, specifics in the flow of the game. we get getting to throw-ins and pieces a little bit, um, but then also um, the players that you've enjoyed watching and all that sort of stuff. Josh, as always, thank you so, so much and we'll hopefully do this in the latter stages of the tournament once England have got through the group and got through a last 16 tie. Um, yeah, enjoy the game, everyone. And uh, I'll catch up with you all soon. After predicting exactly what was going to happen in the Champions League final, Josh Bednash
1: is back. Return. Oh, well, That's definitely a career low for me. He's <laughs> got every every single prediction <laughs> wrong. <laughs> I was with you. I was just
0: like, yeah, this is, I really thought it was going to happen. Didn't happen. Oh well. Um, You're back for redemption and international, maybe, maybe this is what you needed, freshen it up with some international football to, think to think get I, you yeah. back to your best. Hopefully, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> You've managed to watch every single game pretty much so far. How have you? How
1: in the world have you managed to do that? By um, prioritising football above every relationship in my life, like <laughs> you do. I don't know if it has, has has that much longevity, but I'm going to keep going with it. <laughs> yeah, the finals not that far away at this point. I know. Well, to be fair, me, me and my girlfriend booked to go away like, June the 7th to the 9th, and I had an absolute panic yesterday, when went, you know, we're going away during the semi-final. I was like, oh my God, are we? I was about to cancel the holiday. Turns out we're going after the semi-final and coming back on the day of the final. So I had a real moment where I thought I'm literally going to be in the middle of nowhere when England gets to the final at Wembley. Two things I can take away from that. One, you need to prioritise your relationship more, and two, <laughs> you're feeling really, really good about England. <laughs> The, the opposite of both those things is true. I pride <laughs> my relationship a lot and I don't feel good about England, but okay. in that moment I just had a real hearty, so yeah. <laughs> all right then. Um,
0: England-Croatia feels like it was about 10 years ago at this point, just because there's so many games. All, all of a sudden we were on the second round of fixtures. So I was like, are there not more teams to play? Um, but Italy were back on again. Um, yeah. England, won, England won, Croatia nil. How did you feel? I guess two things. How did you feel watching the game and after the game if you've had a chance to look at it back
1: what were the things that stood out to you I mean obviously always watching an England game is a unique experience because you're with especially a tournament game it's like the one moment every two or four years where you're just with all your friends and everyone supports the same team so you're watching it and you're trying to take away tactical elements and technical elements of it but you're actually just there for vibes a lot of the time (laughs) um but obviously I, I, I you know I have to watch games with a different eye on it and I've watched a bit of it back um I think, like, I was speaking to someone yesterday about this, and I think that, you know, one of the most pleasing things for me that Southgate has done throughout this whole process is he's moved away from this notion of the England team being, like, a talent contest, and he's created a football team. And, you know, there's been times in the past where players just get into the England team because there's, you know, quote-unquote clamour, which I know is new, like, football cliches word, but, like, there's... In the clamour about a player entering the setup, and they've got in Grant Holt, Jay Bothroyd, Ricky Lambert. at The last Euros, like these, are players who basically have scored a bunch of goals in the Premier League or in the different league, and won a talent competition to be in the team, and then got out again. And there's been no longevity. With, with obviously, with due respect to those players, great players, but they obviously haven't got been in the plans of a manager to be in a long-term setup for a tournament. What Southgate's done, what I really, really like, is he's created a team. With culture being this key buzzword, where you've got every single player believing and caring about the group, and created a fantastic environment. I don't know if you watch those little FA TV twenty-minute. I could watch them all day, mate. Absolutely I mean, love them. I mean. Highlight of my day. They're unbelievable. Like Mason Man and Declan Rice, like putting on a suit is just like incredible, incredible viewing. Jonathan Henderson doing Saka's tie-up last night. Like I shed a tear. Um, so like. <laughs> Uh, watching them, everyone seems to just be. Not only is that quite a the culture of the group culturally, they're quite similar sort of lads. They're, they're you know, they like the same sort of things. They've got the same sort of interests. They speak in the same sort of way. They're the same sort of age. They just seem like mates going away together and playing football. He's created that incredible environment where obviously he is, you know, the leader, but he's also a, what we call a vulnerable leader. So he's going to say, "I, I don't know everything." You know, Steve Holland will do a lot of the the tactical stuff, I imagine. I don't know everything. We are open to you know exploratory work together and we're gonna try and go along this journey together. So he's created this amazing culture of growth on ability and, and et cetera, et cetera. And he's also created a you know a team where he clearly valued values certain players and he's kept those players in the group no matter what. Like Lingard, I think, was a good example where he said Lingard was a million miles away from being in the squad last Christmas at Christmas time and and to even get back in contention, obviously he had a very good run of thought, but he didn't get in the squad, I know. But to get in contention just shows how much he values these certain kind of like players who are his, I suppose, cultural architects who build that, the importance of that culture. Trippier is obviously your key one to that. Sterling's obviously vital. Um, I think he's Southgate's most cap players, is So having someone like Sterling, who maybe hasn't had the most remarkable season for X, Y, Z, but he's in this, Pickford's another example. I think Southgate said, he's not made any mistakes for England. So whether he's done for Everton or not is actually irrelevant. The English football team are the team he's creating. And I do like that. I don't think you need to, you know, the idea of having the best players who are on the best form doesn't work. And we've seen that for England. It doesn't work. Hodgson put Wayne Rooney at centre mid in 2016 and that just didn't work. You know, you don't, you don't need to do that. So I think what he's done is created this really, really good environment and a consistent team. And I think the game—it's kind of funny because it's the first game of the tournament, but that game seemed to be like the best benchmark of where they've where they've been trying to get to as a side. You know, playing playing the squad that he believed in, the team that he, that he believed in, the formation that I know a lot of people were saying he was going to play a back five, but he played a back four in the first, in the last in the both the warm up games, and he clearly, you know, kind of fallen in that system since kind of March February time. That's what he was going to go with, and whatever he was hearing people say or. Oh, you know, he needs to pick the team that he wants, or not not what the media or the fans want, which is the most important thing. Picked a really strong team that worked really, really well, and and it was a really good performance. It was a really it was a performance where you, know, you wouldn't look at it and think is as exciting as some the games in the past, but that's not important. In the Croatia game, we were quite open with that five three. Uh, the Croatia game in the semi final, sorry, that kind of five three two. We got really opened up on the wings. Uh, we're quite. Vulnerable to a lot of crosses into the box. And we, and we really suffered in the last 25 or 50 minutes and then a bit of extra time. This game it wasn't like that at all. It was, we were really controlled. Controlled the game in and out of possession, I felt. Um, created one or two good chances. And then the moment matters. They were clinical. And then he just managed the game really well. Did not bring on Grealish, which I thought was a good marker of, I'm in control here and I'll do what I need to do to win the game. Not that Grealish isn't a fantastic player, which he is. But I don't think he's the best player when you haven't got the ball. I don't think that's a secret. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a really good performance. I just hope that, you know, we can carry on now. I, I, think, I imagine we'll come, for, we'll come top of the group, I imagine, but now with we're going to have one of the group of death in, this, in the next round, so we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, it was really pleasing.
0: It's not the group of death, it's the group of fear.
1: It begins with F, and there's probably three good teams that will go through. Like that a lot, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's far from the group of death when, like, nobody dies. Yeah, the group of, <laughs> I, I quite like the group of fear. Um, yeah on the control like controlling the game thing,
0: that was easily the biggest difference compared to the semi-final. The semi-final was like obviously we lost, but like it was frantic and like I remember watching it feeling like nervous, and that was probably because it's latter stages of a tournament, partly, and you're with like obviously pre COVID, you're with huge numbers of people. Like I watched the game on Sunday with like four people, five people. Um but at no point was I like, oh, shit, like we're really under the cosh here and we're really, really going to have to be like resolute to hold on to this lead. Um, when we didn't score in the first half, it was like, well, at some point we're going to create a chance and we're going to score. And it didn't even it didn't even seem particularly like there was a set way that we were going to score. Do you know what I mean? It felt like there were, there were different ways that we could create chances, yeah. which obviously the World Cup was so, I mean, set pieces were such a big part of it for England. Um but even like even the second goal against Sweden is like a cross that Dele Alli makes the run that he'd made for Tottenham a few times to um, to score from, and this time just with that I guess yeah just bit of bit of movement in in the middle of midfield. Like Kevin Phillips was obviously outstanding, but then like <laughs> Sterling just being in attacking areas where he could be dangerous. Kane's obviously good at reading what's going on to be able to move around. The passing was good. Walker barely did anything I thought with the ball but then when it came to finding Phillips for that one pass for the goal he managed to find him so it all just sort of came together
1: mm. yeah I mean I think the thing the Sterling the running in behind from Sterling was I'm glad that he was so effective at that and you know there was so much talk in, about different players playing behind Kane I, I'm, I'm more than happy to say I got the Champions League final completely wrong mm. but with this I did what I was saying that he'll play those three behind Kane because I felt like the balance there was I mean obviously Mount is probably our best player or he up there. Up there. He's up there. I think he's I think Mount has in his definitely the last six months has been one of the best players in the Premier League and I think he's a fantastic player. He's up there for sure. Um I mean Kane, of course, but I mean Mount was Mount was really, really good. You've got what Foden the the the, the attacking down the right, kind of breaking through down the right and penetrating down the left or creating down the right and finishing down the left. That was clearly a plan. Um and I'm um, Michael Cox did a good article on The Athletic about Foden and Phillips rotating and Phillips finding the space that Foden's left and then Sterling penetrating on the left. That's where the goal came from, of course. You need that threat in behind, and, and we spoke about on the last podcast with, with Chelsea, Timo Werner. I think Sterling offered that really well. There was an, an awful lot of, you know, Phillips and uh, I don't think um, Trippier and Walker were, were attacked an awful lot to leave us exposed on counter-attacks. On transition, I thought Walker was really good, which he is for City, Trippier is not naturally gonna be going down the side and crossing balls in. So he wasn't playing kind of more of an inside role. And Rice and Phillip, Phillips was fantastic. He he is he was so dynamic going forward that when we lost the ball, he was always already there to win it back. I mean Croatia had slightly more possession than us and they had made slightly more passes than us, but it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like they had control of the game. It felt like when we when we lost the ball, we we were expecting to lose we were not expecting to lose the ball, but we were prepared to lose the ball. And Rice is able to read the game so well that he can delay an attack and wait for two or three players to get back in and help you. Mountain then dropped it to send midfield and they're really well organised, really, really well organised. I think, I think it's going to be interesting how Kane's role adapts during this tournament because, I, I'm, I mean, you all know a lot more than me. With Spurs, he's played this more kind of withdrawn role. England in the last World Cup, of, last World Cup he, was, he won the Golden Boot. I wonder how many goals he's going to get in this tournament. If he doesn't get goals, where are the goals going to necessarily come from? I suppose it's a bit of an open question. I, I, I hope I hope, that, I hope he does, you know, he's very good at coming in, into kind of deep pockets and playing it balls in behind. But I would, I, you know, there's moments where like habits at Chelsea or even Lewandowski at Bayern Munich will we'll come deep, will play balls in behind and then will enter the box himself and finish those off. And I think that could be something which Kane can be slightly better at. I think the team can help that a bit more by the way in which they make the next three or four passes while they're waiting for him to get into the box. It doesn't have to be so quick or so, you know, maybe frenetic. But I think that will come. Yeah, I think Rice and Phillips were fantastic building block block from the back. Ming's played well, which I think his vulnerabilities may get exposed later down the tournament, but he played well. Um, So, yeah, it was a good start.
0: It was a really good start. On the Phillips going high point, there was that one where he was like basically holding off a defender. He like made the run really, really high and early. and He's like backing into a defender in the box, and he just sort of slipped, fo- um, slipped Sterling in for that chance mm. in the in the first half. And that was when I was like, okay, he's he's not a, he's not playing like a holding midfielder today. This isn't like right. We need our centre mids as a pair of players who are there to to stop attacks. That was when it was like clear that he was gonna gonna be hard to pitch. Um, yeah, on the Kane thing, it would be funny to see Kane like just not contribute massively in terms of goals because obviously his role has been different but he still was top scorer and he got loads of assists as well. Um, yeah, I think the reason he does that for Spurs is because Spurs need his creativity and in inverted commas to help get our attacks going um, particularly when we end up playing with like Hoiberg and Sissoko as our midfielders whereas England, we obviously have great players who can do all of that and if he was to just be like uh, yeah, like you say moving towards the ball to maybe do the last little bit of attacking and then hit the box he's obviously a great finisher, and he could he could do that side of things. I think he's 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 just moving into this kind of stage. did you see the big thing with Gary Neville when he was like he just wants to like be able to affect the game in so many ways um and that's obviously like great and admirable when they <laughs> for for Spurs in particular he needs to do that, but yeah, it wasn't his most effective game for England by by any stretch. Um, I feel like when when the when the uh, lineup was announced, everyone was like, it was weird that Trippy was playing. I know that he played there in the warm up games, but it was weird that, like, whoa, we've got two really good left backs and Trippy is there. And then after full time, I feel like the <laughs> it's kind of gone the other way and it's like, oh yeah, obviously with Trippie was gonna start. What do you mean? You're yeah. so stupid that you thought you're so stupid that you thought Ch- Ch- Shore was gonna play. Obviously Trippy was gonna play. Uh yeah, I get that I get that there was the like protect Ming's element and obviously he's really, really good defensively. Um, but in terms of what you said about building up down the right and trying to finish down the left or create down the right, finish down the left, there were times where it was just clear that if we'd had a left footed left back, that would have helped us.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't doubt that. Look, I just I think with Southgate, there is an element where he will play players that he trusts and he'll play players that, that, you know, impact. When I say the culture, I don't mean like everyone kind of back slapping and high fiving. I don't mean that. I mean this kind of implicit. Trust that you you put a player into your eleven that is going. Ashley Young played at the last World Cup left back or left wing back. I think he really does value these these players that he knows what they're going to give him in certain moments. He does hasn't thought okay, and chill and short are going to necessarily give me so much down the left. That I'm going to alter my alter the way we play for that end. Um, but I think he just trusts Trippier. He just completely trusts him. He he trusts him in all elements of the game. He trusts him on set pieces, which we are going to, which are going to be a big element of the team. And I'm sure we'll get into the throwing. The throwing was, and I mean, tripier to the throwing doesn't necessarily mean an awful lot, but you know, he's clearly someone that can take on information really well. He's clearly someone that's worked with Simeone this season, who has improved him and he understands how to defend at deep and how to be patient and how to win that attritional battle. He understands those things. He's become a, a one of the best, arguably. A fullback for one of the best teams in the world who have just won the league against two of the other best teams in the world. I, I just don't think Southgate wants to not put him in the team. I don't think you can't you can drop Walker because I think he's one of the best right backs in the world and I think he's so unbelievably good in defensive transition that you can't drop him. And again, even watching those little bits, okay, you can't take much. But watching the little bits around the camp, you see Walker doesn't get. He's not involved in like a lot of the banter. He's clearly one of the senior players, and he's clearly someone again that he's been that he's been a. Numerous tournaments now, we've played in numerous finals, won numerous titles. You need that sort of player in your team when you're going to go for a Euros. And that's why I think having discussed with people about Alexander-Arnold, blah, 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 Rhys James, top players for sure. I know, obviously, Alexander-Arnold was injured, but I just don't think you're going to drop Walker. And therefore, if you want to get trippy, in there's one place to put him. And if you're going to go, we don't necessarily want to attack down the left, then there's not an awful, there's not a massive problem, is there? I don't think this notion of like balance on that... if you have to play a left-footed right back or a right-footed left back, I don't think there's it's it's necessarily a, a, a game-changing thing if if that's not how you're going to want to play, you know. So, so yeah, I think the balance you your balance, you balance your strike in a team is a balance that you you create within your structure. I don't think it's it's about having X amount of right-footed players and X amount of left-footed players. That they're, they're obviously prepared with what they want to do. I don't I don't necessarily think that. At international football you, ne- you you need to have like the most detailed st- structural tactical plan i don't think you necessarily have time for that and and you necessarily have time to implement that but i think that you you know you if you've got a good culture and you've got a good environment that can be better be, be better at times or not better but you've got a good culture a good environment goodish structural tactical plan with some good players that's that's might might not be more than what you need. Mm. So World Cup
0: 2018, I don't know his name, but they brought in like a freelance or like um, what do you call it? Just a, a guy who is he's, he's a coach who does attacking set pieces, right? That's like his his thing. I can't remember. I can't remember his name. Um, and obviously, he had a huge impact. And then they brought him back in for this tournament. So the success that we had on, on, on corners and and I guess maybe a couple of free kicks. Um, I said to you oh did you see the, the setup for the throw in um that was really good it was like a basketball inbound play which it basically was and you said oh yeah Liverpool've been doing it for two years really really good so i think where where um where I wanted to go with the progression of that is if you if you don't really have time to do the like get all your tactics if you don't have, if you don't have time to get everything perfectly set up in terms of like the flow of the game tactics like who's gonna play where and like what our roles are gonna be on every single element of the game. How can you have time to,
1: like, practice throw-ins? I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that, you know, I think with throw-ins, you don't necessarily need to have a clear, you move here, you move here, you move here structure. I think principles can get you through that. So, like, we have a principle we'll work on where um, the, the kind of, you've got the throw-in on the side, the, the highest and the deepest player will rotate, and the highest player will then receive the ball facing his own goal to switch out the other side. Right. If you, if, you throw back, if you throw forwards, you lose the ball 75% of the time. Yeah. So we throw backwards into the space where you're facing your own goalkeeper, so then your pressure is coming from behind where you can shield your back, and then you can play out to the other side. So that's our principle. For some time, a lot of the time, we were doing it with, okay, the left back has the ball, the left winger goes high, the 10 and the nearest eight rotate. But I think that, if, that if, if, if you give players such a clear structure with a set piece where there's a limitation to what can move, right? Because the ball's dead. So there's therefore a limitation to how players can solve a problem that doesn't necessarily work first time. So there needs to be some fluidity around who does what in that, in that moment. So that's why I think that, you know, with set pieces, I think you do need something really specific. Because, again, a corner, there can be so many varieties from a corner what you can do. With a throw-in, I think principles can get you through that. And I think the England throw-in, I'm not going to say it wasn't a a set throw-in because it could have been. It probably was. But I think that if that throw-in again happened in the exact same position, on the other side, I would have been surprised if they didn't have a similar idea that wasn't exactly that. Just see what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: I think throw-ins are are definitely, and have been for years, a really, really, really undercoached area of football. You've got the guy at Liverpool... Um, who has worked for numerous teams? Who has structured their throw-ins? A lot of their throw-ins are they're they're, they're lucky because they've got Alexander Arnold and Robertson, who you can set back to, to play a sixty-yard switch and a half volley. First which, time, yeah. which, first time, which is which. Not many players in the world have. So they 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 they've got some really innovative throw-ins. Got someone like Firmino, who's really really good at decoy movements. They, he, he's really, really useful. Players in that team, Wan out and Henderson, are fantastic at picking up second balls. So when the year they won the league and the champ and then the, and the Champions League prior to that, they were really really good that so I think that yeah I, I don't think you, I don't think you necessarily need to have a clear he, go, I, he goes here we we if we spend at, 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 at my club we'll do a we'll do throw-ins within a small-sided game at the end of training maybe on a Thursday and the players will have will pick them up and have five other different options on a, on a game on a Sunday by the time you yeah. come to it you can do that for 10 minutes and you'll and you'll go from losing most of your throw-ins to winning most of your keeping ball most of your throw-ins and that's with 15-year-olds so pros can do that no bother sure
0: so just to be just so everyone's kind of clear what we're talking about so the throw-in that led to the chance where Foden cut inside and hit the post with his left foot Trippier's taken it Declan Rice is like just behind Trippier and then there's a, quite a big space and then Mount, Sterling and Kane are all like lined up in a like vertical line Mm. And all that happens is that Trippier spots the space inside of Sterling, and they throw it into the space. And because Sterling's just reads it, sees it, is so good. I just like <laughs> when he gets the chance to move into space, and his first touch is phenomenal, and his acceleration is amazing. So he's just and he's just gone. And within he probably takes what two or three touches before the pass, and he receives it in mm. his own half of the pitch. Like it's just it's just perfect. Um, the other example that <laughs> I messaged you about was the France one where the, that led to the goal. And the reason that I said France don't have throwing routines was because to me it didn't it didn't look like there had been a plan to, or it didn't look like they were in a position to maintain possession from that throw-in. The throwing goes forward, I think it's Pog, it might not be Pogba. The throwing yeah. goes forward, they sort of they he he managed to hold the defender off so he's sort of shielding it, it goes backwards. And then there's like a couple of like bounces, it's a bit messy. And then it drops the Pogba on the half volley, and then he plays an unbelievable pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea of getting players in that, on that side of the pitch to be able to have space on the opposite side, I get definitely that's a principle that you could that you could work on. It just didn't look like, in terms of yeah, having a plan to be able to keep possession when most of the time you throw it forward, you lose it, it didn't look like they had that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to disagree, but I don't want to agree in the sense that we don't necessarily... I, my, my belief is that we don't know what is being coached and we don't know that... We will never know what a coach has been asked a player to do. So, in that light, I think that just because the England one looked more kind of proactive, doesn't necessarily mean it, it, it's... It doesn't mean the France one was, wasn't coached. Like, did the France players rotate? Yes. Did they make an attempt to vacate and create space? Yes. Did they make an attempt to block-ish when the Griezmann went in front? Like, you've got some good principles there. I don't think that... And the ball went forward and it worked. And I, again, I'm not trying... I don't want to be outcome-based with this analysis and go, they scored, therefore it was planned. That's not how I, I believe that football should be seen. But in the same breath, I don't want to say that that was a fluke or that that wasn't, that wasn't worked on because, you know, into such an under underdeveloped area of the game that Defensively, players walk through them, and and they think that they are they they or or offensively, players will walk through them. One team you're watching throw-ins won't really be as um won't really be as kind of desperate to make an option or stop an option as the other team. I think a large part of that is because the ball there's no kind of time limit on when you can throw the ball. So like. At some stage, he's going to throw it. So I think players just get, oh, I can't keep following him because I'm going to lose him eventually. Do you know what I mean? So I think you see, you often see when you watch when you watch football throwings where you got he's literally stopped there. He stopped. He stopped moving and following his player. Or he stopped challenging for that ball. In the, whereas in an, in a normal phase of play, there'd be a kind of a duel there and a high intensity a clash. You don't see that in throwing. So I think that because France were kind of jogging through that set piece. Doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't they hadn't ever spoken about it before, sure. but it doesn't mean they, they had spoken about it before. Do you know what I mean? It's hard yeah. to analyse.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, how many of the England players who started against Croatia do you think will start against Scotland?
1: At least ten. I'd who? Say. Who's the one? I don't know who the one is, but I say it's at least ten. I say I say if anyone's going to come in, it like. No, I just don't think he's going to start Grealish because I don't think Grealish does enough for Villa out of possession. So I don't think he's going to start him for England when we when Scotland games either going to be nil nil or five nil, isn't it really? So like you think? I think it, I I just think it could be it could or, or it could be a really 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 horrible game. I know it's not going to be as hot. To be fair, I think that he actually played into our hands because we were really calm in possession and Croce didn't really press us. So I think that work that actually played into our hands. But back to the Scotland game, I I, I don't know. I just I just I just don't think he's going to going to start Grealish. I think if we beat Scotland, Grealish could start against the Czech Republic. But in this game, I think he's got his trusted lieutenants, and I think that they're all going to start. I think that maybe maybe he starts a left back. Maybe he starts Rashford. But I just don't. I can't. I can't see him changing anyone. Mm. I don't. I don't know why he would. I don't really know why he would. I mean. Other than fitness and injury, I know Maguire said he's he's available. It was very Sunday league that, wasn't it? Maguire saying, I'm, I'm here, boss. It's like, <laughs> what? You've got to You've had an ankle ligament injury and you're not going to play in very early, if you'd say, second round. But even then, throwing him in for that, that being his first game out of the boot, it's a bit of a risk, isn't it? So that was quite funny. But anyway, I just I just, I just don't think he's going to change anyone. I don't think he needs to, really, to me.
0: Yeah. Okay, when you say it could be 0-0, it could be 5 0 it could be a horrible game. What could lead to any of those score lines or that type of game? Well, I think England have much better players than Scotland. I okay, to... So England have I way better pass. players, and they just manage to get those players in positions where they can score, create chances, and score goals.
1: For sure, yeah. I think. I mean, I think. I think England. I think I watched the Scotland Czech Republic game. They're gonna. They, they're probably gonna create some chances from long balls and second balls, and that, that they create a few chances against the Czech Republic. And um, I think that they're they're gonna be. They're gonna. They're gonna. They will be able to cause some threat through that. Um, I know Shadham's. A lot of Scotland German pundits were saying that Shadham should have started in the Czech Republic game. If Shadham starts with Dyke, um, Linden Dyke, I think they they've got you know a threat. Have to hold a threat to run in behind, you know John McGinn's a good player and he'll find good pockets. I think um, Armstrong's a good player; he'll find good pockets. But I think that so, so they're, they're, they could be a threat in those ways. I think that we're going to be a threat because their their centre backs aren't the most mobile. When when they their full backs press, their wing backs press quite high, and then their centre back goes quite high, and then runners in behind I think will potentially kill them. Uh, Grant Handy is not my favourite player in the world. And I don't think that they're going to have, I think, Kane in the role that we just discussed. I think this is where it could be a game for Grealish because, going against what I said, it could be a game for Grealish to come on because if he can occupy the spaces in between their back three and their midfield three and draw centre-backs out of position to have runners in behind, I think you could get some joy there. That's where Kane can come into his own. That's where the Foden and Phillips rotation will work really well there. If they can get Robertson to press Walker and, and... Invite that by almost Walker. Kind of, I know Walker's not going to necessarily go super high and then get into a collision, but maybe to stand, at, start a bit higher, play some set passes, get Robertson to press him, and then you've got the left centre back versus Foden pulling out and then someone in behind that could work really well. Um, so I think we, I think we're going to create a lot of chances against them. Um, I think we can press them really well. I think if our wingers, if our wingers press their centre backs and show inside blocking any passes to their their wing backs So then got a three three b three in the centre and Rice and um Phillips mm-hmm. will be good at that. Phillips uh,
0: sorry just quickly on that. There were yeah. times in the Croatia game where Phillips was just like, I've played Murder Ball for however many years. This is yeah. you know what I mean? He was just jumping yeah. into things and just winning the ball and he's like, oh get up, you're pathetic. Be would never
1: call that a foul. That was the vibe yeah. I was getting from him. Yeah, I I, I yeah, d I don't think I don't I don't love McToname receiving kind of with his body closed from the three centre-backs. I don't think he's the most dynamic center midfielder. I know he's had a great season. He's not, not one for me, massively in, in terms of... I know he moved, he moved to centre-back. To be honest with you, I, I, you might know more than me, but Hendry went off. Um, but I thought he was playing... looked their, one of their best players at right centre-half. Um, I don't know if he went off with an injury, I, I, but I, I, didn't, I haven't read that he is injured. I mean, if Tierney plays... It's a different potentially a different story with that with the left centre back. But I don't know if Tierney's gonna play. He said he's 50-50. 50-50 for Tierney probably means 70-30 because he play in anything. Um, you've got Cooper and Hanley on that maybe centre left, left, left um, channel. I think they're gonna create numerous opportunities by drawing them forward like we did against Croatia and then penetrating down the down the left side. But in the same breath. It's like one of that. It's like that old cliché, isn't it? You can't uh, form out at the window with a derby. I don't think that's true, but I think Scotland are going to create chances. But it's going to be at Wembley, and it's going to be one of the biggest matches that both teams have played in in years. Mm. And without without disrespect to Scotland, definitely one of the biggest games they have played in years. So yeah, I think that they're going to create create opportunities, um, and that's why it could be nil nil. That's why it could be one nil to them. But I genuinely think we'll create a hatful.
0: Okay. To 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 think about a couple of those things. Then, if we want to try and get Robertson, invite Robertson to come a little bit higher. I mean, rather than having Walker do those things, wouldn't it be better to put Trippier on that side? Have some have Shaw maybe be a little bit lower, a bit more central when when that's going on.
1: So leave Walker out, play Trippier right back, play Shaw left back. I just, I, I I'm just never leaving Walker at my eleven because I think he's just so. I think Walker's going to be... Walker, if you lose the ball, Walker will win it back for you. Yeah. And I think. Agree. I think yeah, go on.
0: No, I agree. I, there were, His passing in the Croatia game was not good. Everything without the ball was phenomenal. And I feel like if this bad. is a game we're going to have more of the ball, then why not have someone who's better at passing
1: to be able to do the passing? I don't think you necessarily need to have a player that's really, really good at passing to invite pressure from Robertson. So I think you could have a player... I think you, you could even, which you can have done before, go... When you're building up, you could go centre back, centre back, and then drop Rice into like kind of the right half space, inside channel, whatever you want to call it position. And then you've got two on that side. You've got then got Rice, and then you've got a right back. So you're, Robertson almost like has to go there. Yeah. Um. If you go, if you if Rice and Walker move past the ball together, and Rice go closer to Walker and pass the ball, you don't necessarily have to have a player that's going to then make a fantastic pass or going to then be Able to beat Robertson. I think we need to invite Robertson to press a bit higher because if Robertson presses a bit higher and then you can spin in behind, that's where we can threaten from. I think with Walker, you know, for, for me, looking at an international player and going, he made, and, and saying he he passed the ball of the pitch a few times, which he did and which is not good, I don't think that necessarily means he can't play the next game. And I don't think that means that, you know, if we, I, I think the argument of playing, the argument of playing, uh, a left, a left back with a left foot. Is that O'Donnell didn't have a good game, and they if O'Donnell attacks, and they've got a central back three. You might want someone down the left who's going to create two v ones, going to go on the outside. I think that could be an argument for playing a left-footed left back. But I, I, I wouldn't say that Walker couldn't do a task which required him to invite pressure from Robertson yeah. offload not- the ball. Penetrating behind,
0: it's not, it's not, it's not a big enough thing to warrant the change. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Um, How funny and good was the
1: second shit goal? It's such a good goal. It's, it's a goal that I love when those goals happen. People start saying, (laughs) kind of analysing where the goalkeeper was standing or or where the centre backs were. I think, to be fair, having said that, Scotland on transition, both when they lose the ball. And when they just won the ball, I don't think they were very good. So I think when when we lose the ball against Scotland, uh, Czech Republic were really, really good at counter-pressing. They were really aggressive and really quick to that first first ball. And Scotland weren't great at making those three, four passes to get out of pressure. They got caught a bit. They made the bad, maybe a bad touch or a bad pass. And I think if we can get really, really squeeze the ball after we've won it, Scotland could be disorganised. Likewise, when, we, when Scotland were defending balls that they'd, you know, just lost and they were trying to defend a counter-attack, they weren't the best. Handy was a bit far off from that goal. If Handy's a bit near if he's a bit near a chick, then maybe he doesn't get shot. But then again, it's, it's a goal that you see once in a tournament at the very best. So, yeah, it's an unbelievable finish. Do you want to know what's really funny? Go on. Thomas Suchek got an assist
0: for that. Did he? The ball gets kicked and he blocks it and it then Schick hits it first time and he got an assist. And Rafa did Silva, you? I said this in the intro to the one I did with Yas yesterday, Rafa Silva came off the bench for Portugal, doesn't get an assist for the first one where it's a deflection and wins the penalty, doesn't get an assist for that and then gets the actual third assist for Ronaldo's second one.
1: What are you, what's this on? What's Who's doing these? Uh,
0: that's on, well, BBC. Maybe BBC don't. Well, because on the Euro,
1: I, I'm doing Euro's fantasy football, and you, and you get points for winning a penalty. Okay. And I don't think Suchek got an assist for me for that. Okay. Gutted. Maybe did you did. Su- you had Suchek in, yeah. I had Suchek in. You like him? Well, I've had an absolute mare, if I took out Bale before the game yesterday, so that was <laughs> oh, no. you got two. You got two assists? You got two assists, yeah. I missed the penalty. Just, I, lo- I just love what Aaron Ramsey gives a team. He just runs in behind. You know I'm obsessed with running behind. <laughs> Behind all day and, and um Bale's ability to find him was just fantastic. It was, yeah, I mean, I didn't. I like I said, I watched the. I was driving to training, so I didn't see the game. But um just what Ramsey can give a team it just makes me absolutely distraught that Arsenal didn't, like, didn't give me the, re- the reason. It was the wages, right? It was the wages that he was going to get offered. The whole thing contract. was just the deba- Like he, I think he, he wanted less than Ozil, but they didn't want to give him. A, a new contract and he, he was our best player for three years yeah and he's not Ramsey's not a player where you look at and go he's this he's a player that's you're going to say he's just fantastic and he's so nice to look at he's not very nice to watch when I first when he first joined Arsenal this was so unclean technically that it was it was confusing at times to wonder what he gave you but
0: what's your word? He, scatty?
1: if someone's not clean they're scatty very, very scatty yeah very baggy very baggy, but then he refined that to like not necessarily need to be that sort of player, but just was a classic eight and would just break into the box and score goals
0: in important games. And what was it? Bale missed the penalty? I haven't seen it. Was it bad? Everyone
1: on Twitter was saying it was dreadful. Yeah, he tried. He tried to open up and kind of curl it into the top left corner, but then just smashed it over the bar. That's good. That's good. So yeah. <laughs> um. Who? But he's, but sorry, before we go there, he's done yeah. so well for the penalty because I know this doesn't really get spoken about a lot, but it's never—it's not a foul ever. It's never a foul in the sense of it's that classic that Bale does, where he pushes the ball and he kicks their leg with his leg, if that makes sense. So his foot that kicks the ball goes then kicks the ball and then steps down. His foot that's then been planted then lifts off and trails against the leg of the player that's trying to tackle him. So it's never, it's not a foul in the sense of, he's not been fouled, he's initiated the foul. But you'll win that, you'll win that nine times out of 10. And it's such a good skill, because it's, is it a dive? Well, I mean, I'm not, I've not had anyone saying it's diving. I don't think it's a dive. I know diving gets kind of, people hate diving in this country, which I don't so really- So weird, isn't it? I don't, I don't get it at all, not that players dive, but if there's a bit more like kind of awareness around it, most penalties that you see, would the player would be able to stand up if you asked them to stand up? Therefore, have they all dived by by this definition? Yes, but if a player mistimes that kind of whatever you want to call it, cleverness, deception, wherever it is on that scale, if they mistime it by a second, then it looks like a dive. Pilloried, <laughs> like it's, it's more nuanced than that. Players win penalties all the time, and it's a really really good skill to be able to have. And Bale was fantastic at it, and it's it's such a clever skill.
0: How good was the Hummels tackle on Mbappé.
1: Unbelievable. Amazing. I mean, I, I'm not quite, I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm clear enough on the rule there because I know the rules change all the time. I'm not saying that to be ignorant, but I'm saying that because I just think that, the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the rules there, contact with the leg before contact with the ball, I, I always thought it was a penalty. Mm-hmm. And he makes slight contact with the leg before the ball, but then he make he wins the such, ball. So such it's, clean contact with the ball that yeah. I don't think I don't think I'm I've I, I not clear enough or the rules not clear enough, but it's it is I would have I didn't think it was a penalty, but there's definitely ground to say that's a penalty. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. The first
0: thing yeah. I thought was obviously like races past him, and it just oh. looks like you're like how are these? How is this? How are they allowed on the same pitch when that happened? It was yeah. like when I don't know like if like the. Parents' sports day and just like one of the parents is like a, a former 100 metre runner against like it was just so unfair um, mm. but but yeah um, yeah I mean he obviously did so so well to get back. Um what's been your
1: favourite game of the tournament so far um, I really enjoyed the game last night in a sense I just think Italy a really nice team to watch um, I enjoyed the Spain game because they're nice to watch and I think Sweden did really well against them um, it's been it's been an interesting talk because there, there hasn't been like kind of like a a a style to kind of define the whole tournament. I know that I remember it was at the twenty fourteen World Cup where there was just loads and loads of goals and everyone was like this is a tournament there's loads, and loads of goals and there's been tournaments before that have been really kind of cagey. This is, this has not had like a distinctive style. I think obviously the year we the year and we've had is is shows that you know it's players have been affected in so many different ways that it's kind of down to its raw elements of football now. There's no like kind of joined up way that the, na- the continent are playing after what's happened over the last year and a bit. Um, Portugal, I, again, I loved watching that because it's such, it was such a classic Ronaldo game where nothing happens and Ronaldo scores two goals and celebrates them both. like He's just won the World Cup. I love it. He's such a good, good at celebrating goals. But back to my first one, Italy. I, lo- I really think Italy looked really, really good. I, th- I know the pundits last night after the game said they're going to come on under against a good team. Vieira said that. Pardon? Vieira say that? Yeah, Neville said it as well. I don't. Know, I don't know if they are. I don't. I don't necessarily know that they're gonna come and start against a good team. They're. They're. I'm just saying now who that who who they would play if they win their group. Josh is looking at his wall chart by the way. For they play um, the runner-up in Group C in the next round, so they'll probably get through that game because that's going to be you think like Ukraine or Austria. So they'll probably get into the quarterfinals. Um, and I just think that they're. They look like the team that are the best structured team in the tournament, with with and without the ball. They're really good, and what I love about Man City are really good at it, is defensively they're not um, locked on too early. So they're pressing. They're they're very measured about when they kind of when they pounce. So they're half and half. They're near players, and then when they find that chemo, I know we coach triggers at, at all levels of kind of academy football, heavy touch and um, slow pass, bat bat, touch that guys high in the air, facing their own goal, those sorts of things. When 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 it, I mean they've probably got more complex ones than those. When the triggers arise, they're all hunt it. One two players go to the ball, and it means that they don't have to run at eighty miles an hour in in hot weather in the whole time. But they will put, they'll put pressure, force back, put pressure, force back, and then squeeze really aggressively when they goes when there's an opportunity to win the ball. In possession, they're really good at. Again, I think it's again this is what I like about they they're quite principled rather than really positionally. Um, overly, stru- overly not structured, but overly um, rigid positionally. They'll go from having a building with a back four to building with a back three. Jorginho at points was playing as a pivot with Locatelli in really good positions as an eight. And then sometimes Jorginho would go a lot higher and then Berardi would drop down. But they're filling the right spaces at the right times and they're linking really well. The goal, I felt, was a really good example of Berardi staying really high. They managed to get into Locatelli. Fantastic pass out to Berardi first time. <coughs> and they're penetrating really well. I wonder if against the top teams they'll be able to score enough goals because um, I don't. I, I know Mobley is, is a, has scored in numerous goals, but I don't. From every time I've watched him, I don't absolutely love him. I don't think he is. I don't think he's top, top, top level. Insigne is so small that he really struggles in one v ones. Like it was really tight. He's good one v one to get a shot, but when is when players crowd him in the box, he's not the best at holding the ball and manage to fashion the chance. And Berardi, I didn't feel, was, did look the most clinical. So I wonder if they're going to struggle against top, top teams to break them down. But they look the most structured team I've seen. They look the most well-organised team I've seen um, so far. So, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed watching Italy, to answer your question. Okay. And any players n- not playing for Italy who you've enjoyed? Um, well, obviously the um, Yorkshire Perlo. <laughs> Goes without saying. Uh, I is it Perlo? Why is
0: it Perlo? Gonna- I know he doesn't play anything like Perlo, but like, I, not, I mean, I, like in my head, Perlo—the the iteration of Perlo that is most memorable for me—is the like deep, deeper one. I know he didn't always play there; like he had periods where he was more, you know, basically as a number ten. But he just—it's not how he—that's not how he is at
1: all. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, it's very strange. He's—he's he's, he's not really a Perlo sort of type player. But um, I think the player that impressed me the most was, was Lukaku, probably. So good. Um, his finishing is 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 unbelievable. Like the his second goal, ball slid down the right. He doesn't even look at the goalkeeper and passes mm. it in near post, but with power. Like that's a problem. That's a finish. I would say that you would take after touching the ball. You'd look to the left, check the keeper goes that way, then slide it in near post. Just passes it first time, which again is probably clever because the goalkeeper is setting himself to dive across himself. So probably clever to do. But his finishing is is fantastic. So. Lukaku's have been the player that I've enjoyed just in that regard, watching the most. Um, I'm looking forward to the second round of games to see some more players, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, uh, Rupert and I did a like, players you're most looking forward to seeing 11 and Lukaku was my striker and I feel vindicated yeah. by that first performance. Also, in the, the final friendly against Croatia, he was, he was so good. Yeah, he was good. So good. I, uh, it's so... You know the Foden touch against Croatia where it's really, really long and he brings it down? And holds it up, and just, like everyone else, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, close yeah. To it. Lukaku can do that, and he's bigger, and like, yeah, physically has the fit. Like, yeah, he's he's so impressive, so so impressive. Yeah, against Croatia in that final friendly game, there was one where it came up to him, and he brought it on his, he like just brought it down and turned within like half a second and smashed the shot against the bar. Yeah, fact, how how are you supposed to defend
1: that? Like, what are you supposed to do? Definitely. He's, Yeah, I also like what I like about him is he, he's he kind of when he left Man United, it's always it's almost like Cook oh, Lukaku's done now. No, unbelievable season at Inter, and he so seems so resilient. He he we knew about Lukaku when he was sixteen, scoring for Anderlecht. So he's now really mature and he's seemingly got a lot of really high quality football in him. And I like how how you know mature resilient and he is to be able to not necessarily worry about being the man in the limelight all the time, but when he is in the limelight, he's very, very consistent. Um, 28. Amazing. So he's got, what, at least got, four you know, or five years? He's, at he's, he's peaked out, really, isn't he? He's already played for Chelsea, Man United, Inter, top teams. So, um, yeah. I, I, again, also to say, watching France with Benzema, Griezmann and Mbappe, I find it's just amazing. Like, Mbappe, watching Mbappe just reminds me of Thierry Henry so much that it's just so pleasing to watch. I love watching him he's just absolutely fantastic to watch i i like, I, I know that ev- that he, everyone who watches a lot more PSG than i do says that he's going to be whether he touches messi or bernardo statistically it's probably very unlikely but in terms of quality my, he might he'll be the next the next best player in the world for the numerous years i i don't, I, don't I, I mean i don't know but he's just like so nice he's just so nice to watch he's so kind of aesthetically pleasing you know um so smooth with the ball and he's so good 1v1 and he's so clinical finishing and
0: it felt like they had to allow- the one that was offside it just felt like they should have allowed it because he's so patient yeah I know, you know I mean just mean- like the number of players particularly I mean he's Mbappe's 22 which is I mean it's just outrageous but the number of players who get into that position and maybe do one feint and then shot yeah well, like, they see the defender coming towards them and then there's another defender who's going to put a block in so they're thinking oh I've got to get this shot up quickly just so patient just like check wait Check, wait, shift. Then he shoots. Right, like, just amazing, amazing. Um, aesthetically, I still think Thiago Alcântara is unparalleled. He does the, he makes the smallest thing look like poetry, like gorgeous, gorgeous. Right. Like the way he, like the ball come into him, and he just like does like a little soul roll to change direction, and just like fizz it out to the other side of the pitch, and he makes it look like the best thing ever. That's the sort of thing yeah, like yeah. When Modric when Modric was at Spurs, and he would do something really small he would like, pass the ball back would be black like, class that is class yeah
1: yeah yeah it's something we speak about a lot actually, at academy like how how beneficial controlling the ball on the sole of your foot is and he's someone that does it more than anyone i've seen control it on his sole to shift i mean that i think that it helps cuz he's, he's he's often in a lot of space so it helps manipulate the ball um yeah he does he does do that again how how effective he is are yet, yet to be seen. I don't think. I think there's elements where he's probably hindered Liverpool this season. Um, I think maybe it's a. It might be a lazy argument in some court in some quarters, but I do think he's not the most effective, especially on defensive transition. And he's not the mo. He's not the quickest with his passing, so he like loses moments of penetration when they're like a split second to make a pass. He loses that moment by touching it and kind of <laughs> whatever he might be doing. Um, but he's beautiful to watch. Yeah. Um, so we're recording on Thursday
0: 17th. So, games today Ukraine, North Macedonia. you gonna watch that? I'm actually gonna watch that, yeah. Okay, uh, Denmark, Belgium. I can't watch that because I'm meeting Carl. Five o'clock, Denmark, Belgium. I'm definitely gonna watch that. And then Netherlands, Austria tonight, I'm gonna watch. Um, which would be good games. Netherlands are weird, they're really weird. I know Van Dyke's obviously an enormous miss, but it didn't at no point in my head did I think he was gonna be part of the team, and I really doubt they did either. Um, yeah and yeah they just look so like how you can't go to no up and then just i don't know yeah they're just so so open carl Anker on twitter said the game was drunk and he was that is the best way to describe it it was just so it was so chaotic um and then friday big day sweden Slovakia. i i'll be coaching i can't watch that croatia czech republic and then england scotland that's gonna be a big day tomorrow
1: yeah can't wait
0: um Cool. Thank you very much, Josh. Appreciate it. Some, uh, good, some good, some good bits in there for sure. And uh, I'm sure we'll do this as we get into the latter stages. Once we, once you've filled in your wall chart for the quarterfinals, maybe we'll do it again. Great. Can't wait. <laughs> right, take care. Cheers, mate.